Thank you for listening today to our podcast here at Word of Life. We're delighted that you tuned in. And I pray that while you hear us talk, you hear the Holy Spirit speak. I know God's got a big plan for you. We're excited to be a part of that plan. Hopefully we will see you sometime soon, maybe even this weekend. Until then, we pray you have a wonderful, wonderful week. Oh, we're so thankful to have everyone here with us today. Can we, uh, here at the Lakeland campus, can we give it up for everyone at the Highland Colony campus today? We're so thankful to have you guys here. And next week, your campus, I believe, is going to three services. So that's amazing. 8.30, 10, and 11.30 at the Highland Colony campus. We're so excited uh, for all that God's doing there. And can both campuses here at Lakeland and Highland Colony, can we give it up for everyone who's watching around the world online? We're so so glad to have you guys here with us. Uh, now, as you heard John, our online campus pastor, communicate, and there is no one like John Romnick, uh, like one of a kind. We love having him here. Uh, so as you heard him communicate two things, number one, next weekend is our invite weekend. Now, invite weekend is a chance for you and me to embody our value of go. Here at Word of Life, we have five values The first value is go, and these values, we have them because when you do them, it equals healthy Christianity, Uh, and going is a part of what makes you healthy as a Christian. In fact, if you're not going, you're probably not healthy as a Christian. Um, This theology that some of us are goers and the others of us are senders, it's false theology. It is not biblically accurate nor correct. We should all be goers, and we should all be senders. Um, Going is where you share your faith with someone who is not a believer. And that persecution that you may encounter by sharing your faith, and there's a wall of fear between you sharing your faith and, and you not, you breaking through that wall of fear deepens your Christianity, takes you further in your walk with Christ, and is absolutely one of the healthiest things you can do as a Christian. And so uh, Invite Weekend is a chance for you to do that in a way that's easier for you. Um, And out of this value of go, it's not like go to India or go to China. It can be that. But for us, it's to go to the highways and the byways, to go to our friends and our family members, and to share our faith and invite them to church. Now, the reason why Invite Weekend is an easy weekend to do that is we're going to have loads of fun. Uh, so we're going to have food trucks, and we're going to have inflatables for the kids, and like all of these things at all of our locations. It's going to be just a ton of fun. Uh, and all of that is for you to have some fun and to eat some good food and to enjoy the company of, of other people. But it is bait uh, for people who might not normally come to church. And I want you, I want 100% participation in this. I want each one of you to identify someone in your sphere of influence. It could be a person who you see at the Walgreens. Uh, It could be a neighbor. Uh, It could be a coworker, but you're around them often. I would like for you to invite them to church with you this weekend. My, my heart, genuinely, is to reach the lost. So we don't want Word of Life to be just a, a church where people are coming here from other churches. We genuinely want to see people find Christ here for the very first time uh, and to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, And so out of that, bring anybody in your life who you think may need Jesus. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the final grave and the final garden, that if Jesus Jesus tarries his coming, all of us will go to a grave. Uh, And we want to make sure that also all of us go to a garden. And we're going to talk about heaven. We're going to sing about heaven. I'm going to explain heaven. I'm going to talk about who gets into heaven all of those kinds of things. Uh, And I think for us as believers, it will be educational uh, because I think a lot of people are ignorant about heaven. But I I think uh, also for us, uh, we will have the privilege of seeing people who might not be on their way there uh, course correct and the Holy Spirit really arrests their heart and to allow them to make a decision for Jesus. Uh, But that can't happen unless you invite people. 
And somebody says, well, why does that matter? Because we could advertise uh, any number of things and get people to come, but what we've seen is that when we advertise, it reaches a Christian audience who's already interested in church. But in order for an unbeliever to come, we've noticed that most of the times when they come, it is because you invited them. It's because you told them about a place that wouldn't judge them, or you told them about a place that would accept them, or you told them about a place where they could find Christ, or find love, or find pizza in a cafe, or whatever it may be. Um, And so that's why this matters, and Invite Weekend matters, is we can advertise, but we don't want to just reach a Christian world. We want to reach people who are unreached, and you know those people. Uh, So I want to invite you to invite them, uh, pray for them, invite them. Uh, We have uh, made baskets, uh, and they should be at both campuses. I don't know how many people got them at the Highland Colony service, at the 830 service, so we might still have some for the Tim. But we call them baskets for businesses, where you can just take uh, a basket filled with treats that we've already made for you, and it's already filled with invite cards uh, and information about the church, that you can go by our Go Desk, which are now the old visitor centers, are now our Go Desk. Uh, you can go out there and pick up those baskets uh, and uh, distribute them. Uh, take them to your places of, of work and set them on a conference table and let people come get, you know, a piece of chocolate and maybe find out about Jesus. <laughs> so, you know, all those types of things if you want to take one there. Uh, so that's the first thing. That's next weekend. I can't wait for it. Secondly, we have seen God show up big time here at Word of Life Church. Uh, we were given a new campus on Highland Colony Parkway right by the Costco. Uh, it's w- one of the best pieces of real estate in all of Mississippi. It was given to us in the middle of COVID, and we opened it up as a second campus. Uh, and, and when we assumed the ministry, we also assumed the debt. It was given to us and that we didn't pay anything for it, but we picked up all the debt that was on it. And the total debt that was on it was about $1.97 million. Over the course of less than a year, we have seen God pay that down by $1.3 million, which is amazing. And so now we have like $650,000 remaining on it, and I just want to see it knocked out. Uh, So once a month, we'll update you on our progress of what we owe on it. Um, But I would also ask uh, that each one of you, once again, 100% participation, uh, that each one of you help us do that. Um, Now, whenever, and you know, if you come to Word of Life, you know, I never ask for, for like finances. I just teach on and let God deal with your heart from there. But with this, I don't know why it's become more important to me to see uh, congregational involvement. Uh, That it's not equal giving, like not each one of us could give the same amount, and it's not equal sacrifice, like there may be some that God calls to, you know, sacrifice and give a sacrificial seed, and then others, it's like, I'm not getting any kind of thing about that, Uh, but it's equal participation. Uh, that it's uh, somebody saying, well, I can give $10, or I could give 100 or I could give 1000 or I could give 650000 I don't know. Uh, but it's just you determining what you can do and giving a free will offering. Uh, that it's not something where I'm, I'm not getting a big leading to give. I'm not, uh, you know, there's not a big message on it. I just want to, my own free will, uh, do this. And the reason why 100% participation matters to me is obviously when we all get together and do what we can, that's how we eliminate debt the way that we eliminate it. Uh, but it's also, there's just power in unity. And I, I want to see our church united like never before. And uh, two, that when the miracle happens, and we've already seen a miracle and 1.3 million eliminated, uh, but when, uh, when the miracle is done, I want each of us to be able to celebrate and know I had a part to play in it, no matter how smart, uh, small that part may have been. Uh, so when you walked in, you got a card that tells you how you can give if you want to give. We don't pass buckets here. Uh, but I want to encourage you to do that as well. Uh, and we can't wait to celebrate. Uh, so uh, all that out of the way. Now let's open up our Bibles if you brought them. And we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 18, and I just have it real big. And when I say real big, I mean really big on my heart uh, to teach you this. And so I'm just going to take my time with it, and I'm just going to explain it. Uh, I'm not going to hype it. 
Uh, I may hype it a little bit if I get, you know, because it's exciting. Uh, but um, this is something that is a, transform- a transformational truth uh, that if you understand it, will change your world. And if you don't understand it, golly, you're at a disadvantage. Uh, Proverbs chapter 18, and we're going to look here in verse number 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. Now, for the sake of meditation, let's not just read it, let's look at it. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. My tongue has power. What kind of power? My tongue, my mouth, my words can kill something or make it come to life. My words can make a grave or my words can make a garden. Now, we read that, but I don't know how many people believe that because if you've ever listened to people talk, (laughs) I, I don't know how many Christians are living with the reality of There is power in my mouth that my words can kill something or my words can make it come to life. My words can make a grave or my words can make a garden. Let's look at this in the Amplified. They'll put it on the screens here. Proverbs 18.21 in the Amplified. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and they who indulge in it shall eat the fruit of it for death or life. Amazing. Uh, When you look at the original Amplified, uh, it talks about that you will eat the consequences of your words. That your words have consequences. Have any of you ever had your words get you in trouble? Anybody ever had words get you in trouble? It's like, oh, I should not have said that. Uh, growing up, my uh, parents raised me on truth. Like, you always tell us the truth. There's one thing we don't do to each other. We do not lie to each other. And so when you make a mistake, tell me the mistake that you made. And the, the theory behind it is truth sets you free. That most people don't tell themselves the truth. Uh, they'll tell themselves a lie. It's not that bad. I'm okay. And it's like, no, it's really bad. Like, pay attention to how bad it's getting. Uh, So uh, out of that, most people fail to tell themselves the truth. Most of the time, even with uh, people that we love, we never tell them the truth. And a lot of times, we never tell God the truth. And the issue with this is we've been trained that if I tell like my parents the truth, there'll be so much consequence there that it's just easier to live a lie. But for those of you who've lived long enough, you know that in the short term, it's easier to live a lie than to tell the truth. But in the long term, it's far harder to live a lie than it is to tell the truth. And so my father would always tell me, if you make a mistake before I confront you about it or find out about it, you come and you tell me the mistake, and I'm going to treat you just like God. There'll be mercy and grace to help you. Uh, so tell me the truth. You, didn't make a bad, you made a bad grade? Tell me about it before I find out about it. You watched something you, you shouldn't have watched? Tell me about it before I find out about it. Uh, like live underneath this umbrella of truth. Now, he would always follow this up, though, with there's one time where it's okay to tell a lie. And I'm like, what? One time where it's okay to tell a lie? He's like, yes. One day, Joel, you'll get married. And when you get married, your wife is going to ask you. It's just prophetic. Your wife is going to ask you, does this make me look fat? (laughs) At which case, no matter what you see, the answer is always no. Always no. And it's not even like a pause and look no. It's like if you're facing the opposite direction, the answer is no. And it's like she didn't even look, you you know, your your wife will say, well, you didn't even look at me. It's like, well, you know what the answer is going to be. Any intelligent husband is going to say no. Why? I don't want my words to get me in trouble. It's funny. I've told that before from the stage, and I got a couple of emails one time. It's like, Pastor, it's never okay to lie. Like, you should not tell your congregation 
and it's okay to lie about even something like that. Uh, to which I responded back with, clearly you're not married, and this logic is the reason why. Like, <laughs> this is actually keeping you uh, from, uh, from marriage. Uh, so, because the answer to that question, it is always no. In fact, I've upgraded to no, baby. You are fine. You have never looked better. Accent your eyes. Because our words can get us in trouble. So, like, we know, uh, you know, metaphorically that our words can get us in trouble, but this is not metaphorically. This is literally. That life and death are in your mouth. That when we think about power, we could think about a position of power, we could think about horsepower, we could think about financial power, but God would say, you know where some of the greatest power is? It's about an inch under your nose. It's that thing called your mouth, and in that, you have the ability to bless or curse. You have the ability to bring life or death. I was talking to a minister about this years ago, and he grew up in a very uh, difficult home. Uh, not all of us had the advantage of growing up with a father and mother who loved us or loved each other, and he grew up in a, a very dysfunctional home. Uh, his father was abusive. Um, abusive to his mom and abusive to him. And uh, he found out about Jesus, gave his life to the Lord. As he drew near to Christ, he discovered a calling where he felt like God was asking him to do something, so he surrendered over to ministry. But how many of you know when you surrender over into ministry or receive a calling, that doesn't perfect you? Like you still are going to have some issues. <laughs> uh, and there's still going to be flaws in you. And for most of us men, just in general, uh, when we make a decision for Jesus and we start a family, typically we always take it one level above where our, the generation before us took it. And you should be applauded for that. Um, but the issue is, for him, the next level above was still not healthy. So he was not abusive. Uh, but he was very distant. And as a minister, there was a lot of conviction uh, that was in his heart because he's looking at the, the state of his marriage and he sees uh, that it is not healthy, it is not uh, positive, it is not thriving, that in the, the church setting they were living a lie of like this happy family, but behind the scenes it was very dysfunctional. And uh, this bothered him enough to pray about it. Thank God it bothers us enough to pray about it sometimes. And um, in, in praying about it, the Lord one day showed him uh, a vision. And he saw this flower pot, like you've seen one of these pots that, you know, have the soil in it and, you know, a tree or a flower growing out of it. He saw one of these flower pots, but instead of a flower, he saw his wife. And his wife was wilting. Uh, at our house, neither me or my wife have uh, what would be called a green thumb. Uh, and I really enjoy pretty landscaping, but I don't enjoy it enough to water it, apparently, uh, because it dies. And the reason why is often due to neglect. Um, it's exposed to the elements. It's exposed to the world. And if there's not intentional care there, the element within the world already has a gravity towards death. What's in the world is already negative. So it already gravitates towards death. The world is harsh. Uh, there is um, a, a heavy sun that can beat down on it. So if I want my landscaping to flourish, it's got to be fertilized, it's got to be watered, it's got to be nourished. And he sees this picture of his wife, and she's in this pot, and she's withering. She has not been nourished or watered. Uh, that one of the commandments uh, that we are given as married individuals is to water each other with the water of the word. Uh, and out of this, the Lord spoke to him, and he said, you are killing your marriage with your mouth. 
You're killing your marriage with your mouth. That your lack of attention to speak life is killing your marriage. And if you want her to flourish, it is not enough to not just speak harsh words. You must also speak life. You must also communicate love. You must also communicate affection. Because life is in the power of the tongue. Life and death, the Bible teaches us. Not just here, we're going to look at it in a lot of places. But life and death is in my mouth. My mouth, your mouth has power. Well, what kind of power? Big time power. Life-giving power or death-giving power. You can kill a relationship with a friend by cursing it. You can talk about their shortcomings, how they don't call you, how they don't notice you, how there's just distance there. You can communicate the problem and kill a friendship. You can kill a relationship with a child. You can kill a relationship with a parent. You can withhold words of affirmation, withhold words of love, withhold words of affection. And not just withhold words, you can speak words of, of doubt over them, words of darkness, of oppression, words that give access, not to the Holy Spirit, but words that get access to other spirits that breed divisions. Your words can give place to a spirit of Cain. Um, your words can give place, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Your mouth, the thing right under your nose today, it can bless your body or curse it. It can bring life to your body or it can bring death to it. It can bring life to a liver or bring death to it. Your words have power. Uh, by Proverbs 11, 11 talks about how the blessing of the righteous uplifts a city, but the curse of the wicked is its ruin. That whole cities can come and be blessed and be prospering because the people are blessing the city. But whole cities can be ruined, not by the actions of the people in the city, but by the words of the people about the city. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. If God wants to change your life, he's got to change your mouth. If Satan wants to change your life, he's got to change your mouth. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Whoever controls this, controls this. You don't believe me? Go read James chapter 3. For homework, read the whole thing. James chapter 3 talks about that your mouth can set the whole course of your life on fire. That what you're communicating about your life, it is either providing fire that is destroying your life and the whole course of it, or that your life, and he uses this example in James chapter 3, is like a ship in the middle of a great storm. And somebody says, I'm in a great storm right now, Pastor Joel. My marriage is in a storm. My health is in a storm. My finances are in a storm. I'm in a great storm. And James writes and says, look, but you know what's controlling that great ship? It's not the storm. And it's fierce winds. He said, you know what controls it? There's a guy who has control of a rudder. And wherever that guy points that rudder, the ship will ultimately get there. And he says, just like that rudder controls that great ship that's in the middle of a great storm, he's like, so is your mouth. That your words can defile you and set a course of fire, or your words can point you right out of a storm and over into peace and victory. He said, when you want to control a horse, you control its mouth. That if you can control that horse's mouth, you can take that horse wherever you want to take that horse. And he said, God wants to take your life some places, but until God corrects and instructs your mouth, God can't take your life there. He said, with the same mouth, we bless God, but with the same mouth, we curse men who are made in the image and likeness of God. He said, my brethren, these things ought not be. He said, your mouth ought not be bringing forth blessing or cursing. Those are strong words. That just, that's not just church words, blessed, to prosper, to be increased, to multiply, cursed, to be dysfunctional. 
He said, out, out of the same mouth proceed blessing or cursing. I wonder how many people are struggling in an area that they've been cursed in. And God didn't curse it, and, and the Satan didn't curse it. They cursed it with the words of their mouth. That he said, these things, my brethren, he says, they ought not be. He said, can a fountain bring forth both bitter and sweet water? He said, no, it can't. He said, for many things we offend, but if a man offends not in word, the same as a perfect man, able to also bridle the whole body, life and death, and the power of the tongue. What have you been speaking over your children? Has it been making them flourish? What have you been speaking over your health? Has it been making you flourish? What have we been speaking over our city? Has it been making it flourish? What, what have been, we been speaking over our leaders? What have we been speaking over our marriages? What have we been speaking over our, 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 our heart, over our blood pressure? Here, here's a, something amazing. Let's look at it here in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. We looked at Genesis 1 last week. Let's go back and look at Genesis chapter 1 again. And we'll start off in verse number 2. Now, if you, you go to Word of Life and you've been here for any length of time, probably once a year I will have us look at these scriptures and I, I might up that to three or four times a year because <laughs> it's so important. Genesis 1, and we'll look at verse number 3, or verse number 2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. But notice, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So you got the Spirit of God moving upon the darkness. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. Uh, if you have a, a highlighter or a pen or something like that, uh, highlight or underline the word said, and then underline the word saw. The word said in verse 3, the word saw in verse 4, and I've highlighted them, circled, and drawn a, a line between the two of them. God said, and then God saw what he said. So the book of Genesis starts with darkness. We don't know what happened between Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 and Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2. Uh, but something had to have happened, even from the commandment that God gave man, replenish the earth. You can't replenish something that hasn't been plenished before. Uh, if I have a glass of sweet tea and I drink it and ask for a refill, uh, it means fill it up with the same thing that was there. Refill. So we don't know. Uh, you know, people want to argue about how old's the world and is the Bible accurate. We don't know. We don't know what happened between Genesis chapter 2 and Gen Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2 and Genesis chapter 2, 1 and, and verse, uh, two, verse 3. So between 2 and 3, we don't know what happened in Genesis chapter 1. But here's what we do know. God did not like what he saw. And when God did not like what he saw, he did not say what he saw. In fact, all throughout Scripture, people who said what they saw, if it was bad, God didn't call it a negative report. God called it an evil report. Because God sees darkness, and Genesis chapter 1 does not talk about, he turns to himself and says, can you believe how dark it is? I can't believe it got this dark. How in the world did it get this dark? Holy Spirit, Gabriel, come look at how dark this is. Have you ever seen something this dark before? This is amazing how dark this is. Like, golly, it is dark in here. Like all of those types of things. He did not describe what he saw. Because our words don't just have the power to describe our words have the power to create. So God did not describe the darkness. God created light. He spoke what he wanted to see. And after God said, that's when God saw. Now this is amazing with God. God says, my word does not return to me without power. It goes forth in the earth and does what I say it will do. It accomplishes the thing that I please. 
He said, when my words go out of my mouth, it creates things. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3 teaches us that this world was made by things which do not appear. That the words of God came and formed the world that we live in. That God took darkness and chaos and made a garden out of it. Because the whole time he's speaking, the Holy Spirit is confirming his word with signs following. Isn't it amazing that when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, the first thing he touches is our mouth. And so out of this, well, somebody says, well, that's amazing for God. Like, good for God. God's word is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Like, God's word is amazing. It prospers in the thing that he sends it to, this whole concept of, like, sending the word. Like, that's amazing. Go, God. Uh, But if you keep reading in the book of Genesis, you find something very interesting. When God makes you, he makes you like him. He makes you in his image and his likeness, meaning you function like him. In fact, the Hebrew word of image and likeness means speaking spirit, that man became a speaking spirit, that unlike any other part of creation, you have the way to describe something, to call it something, that animals can communicate to each other, but man got to call the animals what he wanted to call them. We have the capacity to name we have the capacity to label. We have, the, in fact, that was man's first job, to label things. Uh, so God ordained strength in the mouth, the power of the tongue. But we have not understood this the way we should understand this. But I know that if I ask you to meditate on something for the rest of the week, which I, I officially ask you to do this this week, Uh, That if you were to look at what you see, you would find it would match what you've said. That what you see in your health probably matches what you've been saying about it. What you see in your spouse probably matches what you've been saying about it. What you see in your children, in their grades, in their discipline in their attitude, is what you've been saying over those children. That what you see on the job, is it it correlates and matches what you've been saying about the job. Uh, What you've been saying about your stress level matches your stress level. What you've been saying about your irritation matches your irritation. What you've been saying about your frustration matches your frustration. And what we would say is, well, Pastor Joel, that's because what I see, I say. So I see the kids acting crazy. I'm like, they're crazy. Like, look at these crazy kids. Uh, Like, whoa, just so rambunctious that he's my wild one. You know, all, all those types of things. Because we're just saying what we see. Uh, we're frustrated on the job. It just seems like I never get a promotion. Like all these people are getting passed over me. It just seems like, you know, I just can't get ahead. And then we say that and we say, well, that's because that's what I'm seeing. And God would say, what if your words don't just have the power to describe something? What if your words have the power to create something? That just like I created the world that I lived in with my words, that you create the world you live in with yours. What if your words are creating the life that you live? Abraham, wonderful man of God, father of our faith. Uh, He's living with God in such a way that he's purging Lot out of his house. He's leaving all that is common, and God has spoken over his life of promise. You will be a father of many nations. Out of this, it seems as if in that area of Abraham's life, it was the only area he couldn't get his mouth right in. And when you study his life, it's like when God wanted to take him places, quickly he was able to get to those places because he was in the current of God. Uh, In the oceans, there's currents. You get in that current, you can go a lot faster when you're working with the current, Um, when you're working with what God has placed in the earth. Um, And it's the same way for us naturally. There's a, a current that we can walk in called the promises of God. 
And God makes Abraham a promise that you will be a father of many nations. But Abraham struggled in that area where in other areas he saw quick increase in. And and God do quick things. And you see Abraham would pray about it a lot, but really he's not praying about it a lot. He's complaining about it a lot. You know there's a difference between praying and complaining. And he comes to God and he's like, how is it that you have blessed me with all this? And it's going to go to nobody. Like, you would bless me with all these things. It's going to go to Eleazar. Like, it's going to go to this this servant in the house because I don't have a son yet. And you told me I'd be a father of many nations. And God would come in and correct it. And he would come in and he said, you will not, you will not go childless. You will be a father of many nations. A father of many nations, I have made you. Look at the stars, so shall your seed be. Look at the sand, so shall your seed be. Like God is constantly trying to put this faith in his heart, but Abraham's mouth would not come in agreement with God. And finally, years go by, almost 16 years go by, no child. Finally, God comes in and he's like, look, no longer will you call yourself Abram. From here on out, you will call yourself Abraham. For a father of many nations, I have made you. He says, quit calling yourself childless. Quit quit putting this label over yourself. This label of I'm undisciplined. I guarantee you, your personal level of discipline right now matches your words about your discipline. And somebody says, well, that's because I'm just describing what's going on. And God says, what if you're not just describing? What if you're actually creating? And so Abram has come to this place, and God's like, quit calling yourself that. From here on out, call yourself Abraham. For a father of many nations, I have made you. For the next Months from here on out, he calls himself Father of Many Nations. Who are you? Father of Many Nations. Who are you? Father of Many Nations. No, don't call me that anymore. I'm actually Abraham now. I'm a Father of Many Nations. Signs his name, Father of Many Nations. Father of Many Nations. Father of Many Nations. 16 years, no baby. 12 months of calling those things that be not as though they were. They got a bouncing baby boy. And God says, out of all the people in the Old Testament, that's the father of your faith. This is how God operates. Look at Romans chapter 4. You can go there in your scripture. They'll put it up on the screens. Romans chapter 4 and verse 17. As it is written, I have made you. This is God talking about this in the New Testament. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations before him who believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Faith is not denying the giant. Uh, you can leave that up on the screens if you, if you will. Faith is not denying the giant. So like a lot of people have taken the faith message and it's like, oh, I'm sick. And it's like, you know, go to the, I am not sick. I am not sick. I am not sick. I am not sick. And it's like, no, you got a fever? And they're like, you, you know, you're, you're, you're doing this. Uh, so it's not calling those things which are as though they're not. It's calling those things that are not as though they are. If I'm sick, what's not? Health. So if I'm calling those things that be not as though they are, what, do I, what am I saying? It's like, I know there's a giant there, but I also know I got a God who's big enough to defeat any giant that's in my life. And so if I'm calling those things that be not as though they are, if I'm sick, it's like, I know there's sickness there, but I know that by his stripes, I am healed. So it's calling those things that be not as though they are. If, if the marriage is, is just going off the rails, what's not? Well, there's not any love there. There's not any communication there. There's not any things there. It's not denying those things and acting like they're not there. It's saying like, okay, those things may be there, but here's what I know. Love is coming back into my home. Peace is coming back into my home. Communication is coming back in my home. If God's got to send an angel to deal with his heart, God will send an angel to deal with his heart, calling those things that be not as though they were. Now, all of these things, somebody says, well, this is, you know, it's, it's ama- it is amazing. But all of these things, it's not about the end product. And this is where people have made faith. faith. People of faith and the message of faith has made it all about the end product. It's not about the end product of the result. It's the end product of you. 
And it's you acting like you actually have a God who can change things. It's you acting like a God who can quicken the dead and call those things that be not as though they were. It's, it's about you acting like you got a God who can take the deadness of Sarah's womb and she remind himself of his faithfulness and see that womb come back to life. It's you standing in the face of every negative thing in your life and saying, I'm going to trust God's word. I'm going to confess it with my mouth. I'm going to believe it in my life. Blessing our lives. I'll close with this. Let's go over to the book of Mark. So we looked, at, uh, we looked at Proverbs. We looked at Genesis. Let's go over to the life of Jesus. Mark, we'll look at chapter 11. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus is coming up to a tree, and he's hungry. You ever been hungry? Some of you are hungry right now. <laughs> Find a grandmother with a bag of mints. Anybody else's grandmother have a bag of mints? Mark chapter 11, Jesus is hungry, and in verse number 12, it says this, And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, Jesus was hungry, and seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. Verse 14. I wish I had enough time to teach on this. Verse 14, Jesus answered and said unto it, one of the things you'll notice about Jesus is if he didn't like it, he answered it. He didn't think about it. He comes across a fever on Peter's mother-in-law. He answers it. Everyone else is thinking about it. He comes to a storm. The disciples, they're not just thinking about it. They are panicked about it. Their communication is, we are going to die. Jesus gets up and he answers it. And peace comes to it. And they're like, what manner of man is this? And you know what Jesus didn't do? He didn't, he didn't come and say, I'm awesome. That's what kind of man I am. I'm not a man. I'm actually God made manifest in the flesh. Jesus Christ Evangelistic Association. Uh, he did not do that. He corrected them. Now, get this in your heart. He corrected them. He said, why didn't you do it? Why didn't you answer it? Why don't you just sit there and think about it and complain about it? Why don't you just get up like, like David and answer the giant? Why don't you just get like Paul and Silas and in the middle of a prison be praying and singing some praises so loud the other prisoners can hear it? People of faith all throughout Scripture answered their problems. They didn't think about them. If the devil gets you here, he will whip you every time. But if you can get the devil here, you can whip him every time because there is power in your mouth. The power of life and death. Jesus answered what he didn't like. And he comes and he answered the fig tree and said, No man eat fruit of thee from here on out. And his disciples heard it. Now he walks into a city. He throws some, uh, you know, some tables and casts out the money changers from the temple. And the next day he's walking out of the city. And in verse number 20 it says this. And in the morning they passed by. They saw the fig tree was dried up from the roots. So from the inside out his words had power. His words started in the unseen, then came into the scene. It wasn't like he cursed it, and then immediately it withered. He cursed it, and from the inside out, first there was an inside change, then there was an outside change. First there was an inside change, then there was an outside change. First there can be an inside change in a marriage. Words change. Well, I don't see anything. It's an inside change. You keep holding fast the confession of faith, outside change. From the roots up. I like that. From the roots up. Verse 21, and Peter calling to the remembrance of Jesus said, Master, the fig tree you cursed, you cursed. It is withered away. And once again, notice what Jesus didn't do. He didn't come and say, I am awesome. This is me, awesome Jesus. He corrects them. And he said, why don't you have some faith in God? For verily I say unto you, that whosoever, now I've got that word highlighted and underlined, why? Because whosoever means me. He didn't say the holy, he didn't say those who walked with me, he didn't say my 12 disciples, and then when they die, this passes away. He didn't say the anointed. He said that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, and be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, 
but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Jesus said, if you believe it with your heart and you say it with your mouth, you'll see it in your life. And he didn't say, this can happen. I, I hear people teach this, and just on the inside, it irks me a little bit. Jesus said, you can have what you say. He didn't say, you can. He said, you are. You are having what you say. He said, if you believe it in your heart and you say it with your mouth, you will see it in your life. And if you're not seeing it in your life, it's because either one, you don't believe it in your heart, or two, you're not saying it with your mouth. Because Jesus said, if you believe it in your heart and you say it with your mouth, you'll have it in your life. And all of this was in context then, is Jesus teaching them a lesson of you cannot curse it and expect to be blessed by it. Peter was shocked. He's like, Master! The fig tree you cursed, it's withered away. And Jesus is like, you can't curse it and expect to be blessed by it. Life and death are in the power of a tongue. You can't curse a job and complain about it and expect to have favor on it. You can't curse it and expect to be blessed by it. You can't curse a marriage and expect to be blessed by it. You can't curse a child and expect to be blessed by it. You can't curse your discipline and expect to be, see a change in that area. I don't care how many books you read about it. I don't care how many life coaches you hire. You can't curse it and expect to be blessed by it. Oh, but if people would come up and realize there is life and death and the power of the tongue, blessing and cursing, and those who enjoy it will eat the fruit thereof and understand that if I begin to bless it, life, life is coming to me. As meditating on these things, and the Holy Spirit just reminded me of Jacob in the Old Testament, of here you have a young man by the name of Jacob, and out of his, his womb, he's reaching, grabbing a hold of the heel of his brother. And his parents label him with Jacob. And their lame names weren't given because of, you know, I really like that one. Uh, they were giving, uh, given because of spiritual empowerment of what they meant. And the word Jacob meant deceiver, subplanter. And so from the day he's born, Jacob's parents have put this label on him of this is who you are. And it was self-fulfilling. Who are you? I am Jacob. I am Jacob. I'm, I'm, I'm a deceiver. I'm a subplanner. Who's that? That's Jacob, deceiver and subplanner. And he lived up to every one of those labels. And he suffered the consequences for it. Faced all types of, of pain, all types of heartache, all types of having to leave his family, division in his family, goes and reaps all the, the harvest of the seed he sowed against Esau. He, he reaped from his father-in-law, changing his wages and deceiving him for 14 years. Finally, he comes to a place where he says, I can't do this anymore, and he decides to wrestle with God. And he's in this moment where he's wrestling with God. He's frustrated with his life. He's frustrated. I can't go here and I can't go there. I feel like I'm stuck in the middle of a wilderness. And he's wrestling with God. And you know he's telling God, I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go until you bless me. And a lot of people think when they think of blessing, well, I got a new car. I was blessed by God. Or I got a new house. I was blessed by God. But God, when he thinks blessing, thinks a little bit differently. He thinks of empowerment. And so I don't know what Jacob was bargaining for when he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. But you know what God did? He said, do you want to be blessed? Let me do something. That label you've been living under, what you've been calling yourself, what your parents have called you, what your friends have called you, what your people around you have called you, what everyone who's ever known you has called you, what they have labeled you, and what you have labeled yourself I'm going to take off that name. I'm going to take off that label. And from here on out, no one will ever call you Jacob again. I'm labeling you Israel. And you know what Israel means? For a prince of God and man, I have made you. That's who you are. No longer are you Jacob. You want to be blessed? Let's just, let's just change what you've been calling yourself. You want to be blessed? Reject the label of what everybody else has been calling you. And you label yourself something new. Label yourself disciplined. Label yourself controlled. Label yourself healed. Label yourself blessed. Label yourself able. That no, these aren't just giants and we're grasshoppers in their own sight. No, I've got a spirit of Joshua and Caleb and say, giants, they'll be bread for us. Give me this mountain that we have a different spirit a spirit of faith and I'm telling you some of you you need to renounce those labels 
that, that some of you, you've been, you've been trying to prosper in an area you're cursed in. And the person who put the curse there, it may have been your parents, and then your words backed up that curse. But I'm telling you, if you'll renounce that curse and say, that's not who I am, that is not who I am. Let me tell you who I am. I am a child of God, redeemed from the curse of the law and blessed with the blessing of Abraham. If you begin to call those things that be not as though they are, you'll, be see, you'll begin to be able to see God move in new and fresh ways. Change the label. Some of you need to change the label of what you've been speaking over your spouse, what you've been speaking over your children, what you've been speaking over your marriage. And then if you can change that label, you can change a life. For life and death are in the power of the tongue. Let me pray for you. Every head bowed, every eye closed, that all of our campuses at the Highland Colony campus, I'm going to ask Pastor Ryan to come to the stage. For everyone in this room, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Joel, I want to surrender my life to Jesus in a fresh and new way. You're going to come into a relationship with a father who wants to call you loved, call you redeemed, and call you his. But if you're here today and you just want to surrender to that love in a fresh and a new way, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If that's you, would you do something for me all over the floor, all on the balcony? If that's you, would you just lift up your hand right now? Hands going up all over the room. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Online too, if you're watching, surrender to Jesus. Just lift up your hand right there in your living room, right there in your home. Amazing. Now, everybody here at Lakeland, everybody online who's watching this, would you just pray this prayer with me? Just let's release these words over our life. and Just repeat this prayer. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe I am not the sum total of my mistakes and my failures. I believe I am a child of God forgiven by Jesus loved by a father, and blessed and empowered with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, you are my Lord. And from here on out, I thank you. Your grace enables me to not bow my knee to anything but Jesus, my Lord, whom the Son sets free, is free indeed. I'm walking in freedom in every way. I'm walking in freedom. And I say boldly, today is the beginning of the best days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we celebrate everybody who made a decision today? Oh, yeah, amazing.